0: Good morning, church. It's a joy, privilege, honor to be here with you today. I'm going to read something. It's a quote. I'm going to wait till the end to tell you who said it. But this is very fitting, I believe, very appropriate for today. Sufficiency of Scripture. This is what one man said. God has brought you here today so that I could tell you on his behalf that he has an invitation for you and a gift. God is saying to you now, I have communicated everything you need to know in order to have godliness and life and be fruitful for me and powerful for me and faithful to me. I have spoken it. I invite you to enjoy it. I invite you to live in it. Not lick this lollipop once every three days. I invite you to live here. Hold this. Love this. Read this. Meditate on this. Memorize this day and night. Don't let the world shape you so that this looks boring. God Almighty has spoken. It can't be boring. We're the problem. He is a Vesuvius of joy and energy and power and wisdom and strength and love, and grace, and justice, and truth. He can't be boring. The world is boring. This is by Pastor John Piper a few years ago. One key phrase from this quote is, I have given you Everything you need to know. This introduces us to the doctrine of sufficiency of Scripture. I will define that many different ways. Well, not many, but a few different ways this morning. In its most basic definition, the sufficiency of Scripture means that we don't need any more special revelation from God. We don't need any more inspired, inerrant words. Scripture is enough. When it comes to the world knowing God and the way of salvation and obedience, the scriptures we have is enough. Let me read a couple of verses from Psalm 119. And I want to tell you ahead of time, I'm going to ask you at the end of these few verses. Is it enough? Does it warm your heart, your soul? Psalm 119, verses 11 and 12. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Verse 103, still in Psalm 119. Verses 103 and 104. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. As we continue our focus on the Reformation, I want to remind us that the chief theological issue in the Reformation was justification. How is one justified? We might say salvation. But the question is, how is one justified before a holy, almighty God? If someone claims justification by faith, or if they claim justification by faith alone, what is her or his authority for saying that? The controversy in the Reformation became the question of authority. Who are you to say that? How can you say that? What is your basis of authority? If you remember when the Pharisees questioned Jesus, they said, first, who is your teacher? How can you say those things? Because it was always for every rabbi, it was about who is your teacher? Who taught you? Who gave you that authority? Who do you think you are? For the Reformers, ultimate and final authority was the Scripture. And we know that we cannot take that for granted today. As it's been stated and alluded to today. Martin Luther said, I have made a covenant with my Lord God that He send me neither visions nor dreams, (laughs) nor even angels. For I am well satisfied with the gifts of Holy Scripture, which give me abundant instruction and plentifully supplies all that I need to know for this life and for that which is to come. Luther said, This Holy Scripture I believe, and with it I am satisfied, and I am certain that it will not deceive me. Scripture is sufficient. As a Roman Catholic priest, Luther knew what he had experienced, and he knew what he was up against. I don't know if sometimes, sometimes we forget that. Luther grew up in that system even before he became a priest, and then he became a priest. So when God saved him and opened his eyes, he knew what he was facing. See, the Roman Catholic Church taught clearly and specifically Scripture is not enough. Scripture is insufficient. We need tradition. We need church teachings. In fact, the official Roman Catholic order of authority was, number one, what the church says, number two, tradition And third, if you haven't settled the issue, then go to Scripture. And then Luther, by God's grace, read Colossians. And he read chapter 2, verse 8 specifically that says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends. Now let me back up. Don't be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. One more definition of sufficiency. The Bible contains all things necessary for salvation and all things necessary concerning faith and life. All things. All things. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 and 47. Moses speaking. Verse 46, he said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Now we're going to turn, as I mentioned in Sunday school, let's turn to a very dangerous verse. Micah 6, 8. Many of you know it immediately, don't you? Micah 6, eight. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Will you allow me to ask a question? Is this enough for you? If you want to know, well, what does God want for me? What does he want for me? What does he want from me? Turn to Micah 6.8 and ask yourself, is this enough? Is this sufficient? We've heard this verse many times. But have we actually understood it? Have we, no, no, have you, have you determined that you will do justice, love kindness, walk humbly? Will you strive to walk humbly before your God? Ask yourself, do you pursue each of these in the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit? When you ask, what does God want from me, this is the place to start. Pursue sanctification in these three areas because I have a question for you. Otherwise, why even talk about the sufficiency of Scripture? if we see it in front of it i'm sorry in front of us and we're not pursuing the very things that we read does it matter to say scripture is enough yes i cling to the doctrine of sufficiency of scripture while not pursuing to live the scripture that we say is enough How is your forgiveness? Do you carry bitterness? Have you decided, oh, I can forgive all of them except you don't know what she did to me? You don't know how long he's been doing. Does it matter? If Scripture is enough, if we are not striving to live by it, theologians commonly recognize four characteristics about God's Word, the Bible. They talk about the authority of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, and then a fourth one, of course, is the sufficiency. Of Scripture. Quote taken straight from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, his definition of the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. So what I think we will do is we'll take this definition from Grudem and we'll break it down into three different points for the next few moments. So number one, in Scripture alone are we to search for God's words to us. In Scripture alone, we are to search for God's words to us. God's Holy Spirit reminds us of Scripture and helps us understand Scripture. Grudem said, when we are facing a problem of genuine importance to our Christian life, we can approach Scripture with the confidence that from it, God will provide us with guidance for that problem. I have grown weary in my sinful condition of saying things like, do you spend more time with Dr. Phil than you do with the Word of God? Do you spend more time seeking Oprah than you do the Word of God? It's become so just cliche, and it's become so passe that we say those things, and of course everyone's going to say no. And yet every... Year, we seem to have to revisit that. As I always say, no one's walking around inside your brain but you. Is this enough for you? Is scripture truly sufficient? Or do you want a second opinion? Or even worse, Is this your second opinion? You have the people. Maybe your co-worker. Maybe a great aunt. Maybe another book that you go to first. And if they can't satisfy, well, I guess I'll go to the Bible now. We must be very careful. We must be very intentional. We must. We must. See, God considers what He told us in the Bible to be enough. We read, 2 Timothy 3, about the Word of God. The Word should be used to train us, to make the man of God complete. The Word of God is enough. First Peter chapter one. I know that this church knows. First Peter one, verses twenty three through twenty five. First Peter one, verses twenty three through twenty five. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. The word of God, the sufficient, powerful, completely sufficient and powerful word of God. Point number two from Grudem's. Definition. In Scripture, we can find what God has said on a topic and we can find answers to our questions. We really can. This tells us two things. It tells us we can focus our search for God's words to us on the Bible. We do not need to rely on church traditions or feelings, or thoughts that come to mind to see what God wants for us or what He wants from us. I have some very dearly departed relatives who, growing up in central Arkansas, White County, Pulaski County, um, when they said things, I was a child. Well, of course it's true because my sweet 84-year-old aunt said that. It has to be true. And so you just, if we aren't careful, if we're not biblical, if we're not wise, we just accept these things from the world because my mom always said. My uncle always said. And as God saved me later and he got me in the word later, I would read things and I would say, that's not what... Auntie always said, and by God's grace, while I have many frailties, I didn't, by God's grace, I don't recall ever saying, I wonder which one I should believe. And that's a gift of God. But I learned Auntie and Grandma had some really weak theology but I'm sure they got theirs from the same place, their auntie and their grandparents. We must be people of the word. We must realize it's enough. It's enough. Secondly, we can come to clear conclusions on many things in Scripture. Parent-child relationships, marriage and divorce what christian civil government relationships what do you do when government says this during covid how should the church respond all these things husband wife finances evangelism and so-called outreach does the bible talk about outreach the bible talks about sharing the gospel The Bible talks about living for Christ and representing Him to the population biblically. I think we can say the Bible talks about evangelism and outreach. Pastor Barry Cooper said this, It can be easier and more comforting to let other people do the thinking for us. To believe that if Pastor X taught something, It must therefore be true. But the sufficiency of Scripture points us back to the Bible to examine what Scripture says about these things and to allow Scripture to be the judge of human teaching rather than the other way around. The society, not if they even consider the Bible, look at it, with the desire to correct it, ignore it, refute it. Same quote from Barry Cooper. God has given us in Scripture the principles we must follow when we are making decisions and we are free to choose any option that does not violate these principles. So the sufficiency of Scripture reminds us that God has already told us what we need to know. There is a book. It was a very popular book. And I first came upon it, and I was, I hope it was righteously skeptical. And so I investigated, and I read, and I read. And in the preface or introduction, the author said, how much this author loves God and Jesus and the Word of God, and how this author thought it very important to read the Bible every day. And then the author said, But then I found myself thinking, I need more. This is not enough. May I sit you down across the the coffee table from this author? And have you talked to this author? And what might you say? When the author says, I just I love it, but it's not enough. The author is currently a very, very wealthy and very well known Christian author. And I say with fear. And trembling and trepidation. These books may be in your house. The author said, I love this, but it is not enough. Very, very uh, best selling author, best in the sense of numbers. Now, point three from Grudem's definition of sufficiency. The amount of scripture given was sufficient at each stage of redemptive history. This does not say, listen carefully, this does not say that God cannot add, could not add more to what he has spoken. It does mean that we cannot. We cannot, we must not. Do we not see warnings throughout Scripture of what will happen? We have to turn there, don't we? Revelation 22. Again, a dangerous verse because we're so familiar with it. We may read over it or think about it lightly. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. A trick question That's not a trick question, but it's a trick question. But it's not. (coughs) Who is writing this word right here? I heard John and I heard Jesus. The answer is yes. If you go back to the beginning, it says, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, this prophecy, God will take away his share in the, three, in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. We must be very careful. And again, I say, I say, we must be prayerful and careful to, to just remind ourselves, this is enough. Yes. It isn't, I'm not, let me hear, let me say this. I am not saying you cannot get biblical wisdom from other sources. Just let me say that. But to think that you need those because this isn't enough. That's where the issue becomes. Because if you get to the point to say, this isn't enough, What's to say that you get to a point to say this isn't correct? Because yes. if this isn't enough and I read that book and that book gives me warm, more warm fuzzies than this book. Yes. I'm going to start leaning more on that book. It's human nature. Yep. We must be careful. We must be prayerful. Be humbly prayerful. Yes. The second London Baptist confession has a section on the sufficiency And the Second London Baptist Confession gives two clear statements. One is chapter 1.1 or article 1.1. It says, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Then article 1.6, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Both statements if you keep reading them, refer back to 2 Timothy 3, 15-17 as scriptural authority. You may recall the Apostle Paul, when he's, his last visit, I believe it's Acts 19, when he sees the, the uh, Ephesian elders for the last time, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel Of God, He knew it was necessary and He also knew it was sufficient. Here are a few practical applications. And just to be honest, which is a good thing for a preacher to do, I stole these from here and there and yonder, and I don't remember where, but I'm pretty sure none of them are original with me, but here they are. When we have questions about how to live, act, respond to a situation or doctrinal issue, we must realize everything God wants us to know can be found in Scripture. Everything. This is sufficiency. We see again 2 Timothy Chapter 2 and chapter 3. Um, are we familiar with Awana here? Notice there's no S on the end. I had to say that. It's Awana. It's a child to youth program for Bible study memorization. Their verses, 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's how you become approved proved workman to God. Accurately handle his word. And his word is enough. And then chapter 3, 16 through 17, again, we embrace the word of God as enough to equip every man and woman for every good work. We must start and stay with the word of God. In the Sunday school, we discussed about Works. And you know, we know works don't save us, works can be evidence. But if you're gonna do these works, and we all should do these works, just as we live through life every day, we must do them based on Scripture so that we can be approved, rather, we can be equipped to do the works well. We must serve our neighbors based on the word of God. We must give based on the word of God. Train up our children based on the word of God. Share the gospel with the lady at Walmart based on the word of God. Allow me to make one very, very simple statement. This came to me. So this this one, this 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 is a sub-point. This one is Mike Collins. So if it's good, thank the Lord. If it's not so good, it's Mike Collins. But it's I'm a pretty simple person, and this is a very simple statement I'm gonna make, but it's simple, and it's so simple that it's profoundly simple. Have I built it up enough yet? (laughs) Christian growth includes growing in our understanding and studying of Scripture. That's all I got. Your spiritual growth, my spiritual growth, (laughs) includes growing in scripture understanding and studying understanding and studying you will not grow in your understanding of scripture if you're not studying scripture a study it b don't spend so much time studying again there are good helps there are good authors we know that i don't need hope i don't need to keep saying that too but if you want to grow in scripture study scripture Our primary spiritual intake must be God's Word. Has to be. Has to be. I've heard so many people say this statement in so many different ways. I believe it was the the famous non-theologian Mark Twain who said, it's not the parts of Scripture I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. I mean, Peter said Paul's writings were difficult. So what do you do? You study. If you come to a part of Scripture, you don't understand, what do you do? You study other parts of Scripture because primarily, number one, interpretation is you let Scripture interpret Scripture. But as Barry Cooper Cooper said, it's so easy to sit back and just take someone else's word for it. Praise God, you have a church church of leaders, pastors, elders. You have men who you can know. Study the Word. Know the Word. Want you to know the Word rightly. But I tell people all the time. And when I was pastoring at the last church in, in West Helena, I, I stepped along and I said, bring your Bible to church. You hope that most churches have, you know that one down. I said, I want you sitting there with your Bible open while I'm preaching. I want you to be checking me. Don't just take it because the preacher said it. Pray, study, study, pray. Back to practical application number two. We are not to add to Scripture or consider other writings equal to Scripture. The best Name them, whoever you want to name, R.C. Sproul, John Piper, whoever. Their words can be great, but they're not on par with Scripture. They can quote Scripture, they can explain Scripture, but still, it's not above or on par with Scripture. Have you heard of the Book of Mormon? Pearl of great price. These are books that they read far more than Mormons than they read the Bible. You have your Christian scientist. Science and health with a key to the scriptures. Then there's the Quran. Which maybe you don't know this, that it's gaining traction all across America. It's becoming just a great book that everyone should read. I've read large portions of it solely for evangelistic purposes. (laughs) Because I was at a complex over in Four City years ago sharing the gospel and this guy comes and the guy says oh have you read the Quran?" I said because he mentioned the part and I said I've read large portions and I've read the portion that you are referring to so let me tell you what it says and what it really says and what it really means. We have to be ready for that. Do you realize this is a fact every cult is started because of a lack of faith in this. Every cult. And usually, generic phrase, usually the issue with cults is it comes down to their belief of the deity of Christ. They don't want to accept Christ as God. Nice guy, maybe son of God, but not supernatural birth. We must stick to this. We cannot consider any other book equal or even close. Number three point: God does not require we believe anything about Him that is not found in Scripture. If It's not in Scripture and someone tells you you don't have to believe it. you should not believe it. Are you aware that yes, Roman Catholics, they have books that say they list all these miracles of Jesus as a child. Jesus took little mud and spit on it and formed birds and they flew away. And I could keep going. And they take that as on par, which then gives them in their mind authority to know more about Jesus than we would know. Number four, nothing is required of us by God that is not commanded in Scripture, either expressly or implicitly. Many seek to know God outside of His Word. The result is no joy, no peace, frustration, The result is no growth because there's no root. There's no nutrition in those other sources they think they want to use. This is what cult leaders especially do. Follow me. Follow my words. Follow my teaching. God has not said, but I have said. Psalm 119 Verses 44 and 45, Psalm 119. 44 and 45. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I have sought. We must pray that our day starts with the word of God. I have a pastor friend of mine who often says, I'm not trying to be hardcore, not trying to be legalistic. You can have your Bible study any time of the day. But it should be in the morning. <laughs> but, but it's up to you. You can seek Christ, you can seek, you can ask, you know, maybe you're a morning person, maybe you're an evening person, maybe you're you can choose. But it should be in the morning. Jesus kept saying it. clearly I remember this ten years later or so. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. This is the reason I start in the morning, because I want to start the day with the peace of God. I want to start with my heart and mind focused on His agenda, His direction, His purpose for my day. I don't know about you, but I'm a little busy throughout the day. I'm sure all of us are. I have to. I have to know what the Lord expects of me from the first moment. But that's just me. Number five, in our teaching, we must emphasize what Scripture emphasizes and be content with what God has told us. We must be content with what God has told us. I'm not going down that path where someone said a year or two ago, that we must be like Scripture. We should be firm where Scripture is firm, but whisper where where Scripture whispers. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that for one second. Scripture proclaims every word, every chapter, every verse is a proclamation. It's not a hesitation. It's not a suggestion. It's not a whisper. It's thus saith the Lord... And it is enough. And we must be people who believe that, proclaim that, love that. Deuteronomy 29, 29. I am not being light or trying to be funny when I say I am literally afraid of a book coming out soon called God Whispers. I'm not I'm not being funny. I think it would sell, sadly. I think it would probably be a bestseller among who are called people who call themselves evangelicals. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. All the words of this law. Oh, why doesn't God just tell us this in the Bible? Why don't we just on our face with a bible John MacArthur said the most important thing in the world is God's divine truth it alone it alone saves and sanctifies it gives us a worldview That is divine. I feel the need to preach that for the next half hour. It gives us a worldview that is divine. Everyone in this room above the age, help me parents, age of one, has a worldview. It's every human, people in Mongolia have a worldview Arkansas, Africa, China, people have a worldview. What shapes yours? Because you have a worldview, and every second you are being shaped. Is it the Word of God? MacArthur said, It gives us a worldview that is divine. I cannot understand myself or the world apart from the truth of God's Word. Please think on that today. Because it's true, you cannot understand yourself properly, righteously, biblically, apart from God's Word. You will think, oh, I do need, oh, I must go to Dr. Phil. I must, I must... We must. We must go to scripture. I, I, I say constantly, I'm not so I guess I am, I, I'm not so surprised when we watch the news and we see just the the crime and the evil and the wickedness and the sin. We we shouldn't be surprised because they're all living based on their worldview. Now you want to know what crushes my heart. Do you know where I'm going? People who claim the name of Christ, people who claim to be committed to the things of God and live like the world, do not display a biblical worldview. Their mouth and their actions are not aligned. One thing we have to learn, we must not ask in any situation, any decision to make, how do I feel about this? What do I think about this? Specifically when we come to Scripture, I don't feel like we've probably all been there. I've been sharing the gospel or just talking to people. And, well, I just don't feel like God would do that. I don't feel like God would have me and I say lovingly, I agree with you. You don't feel like God would do that. But what does the word of God say? Yeah, but I don't know if I can trust that. And generally, it's more like I don't want to trust that. It goes beyond feelings to a wicked heart that obviously doesn't want to trust that. So let me ask this. I stated at the beginning, hinted, I say again, what does it matter that we can defend the idea, the doctrine of sufficiency of Scripture or even sola Scriptura? if it does not change our lives. If it doesn't change the way we raise our children, since I'm already knee-deep in, your, in your, your anger and frustration, I'll go ahead and go. Are your children in your Christian home being given the same agenda, the same reason for going to college, the same course of study in college as your non-safe Christians because after all, they've got to get a good job and support their family well. So we raise our Christian kids with the same agenda. Well, I want Billy to be a doctor. Why do you want ability to be a doctor Uh so I can tell my friends that my son's a doctor. Uh I'm not opposed to doctors. Doctor for the glory of God, of course. Uh Whatever you do, I'm not saying what you should or should not encourage your child to pursue, but you should pursue on your knees with this. Uh We are of most people, as I read somewhere, to be pitied. If we claim we love this and believe this and our children turn out like all the others in the neighborhood. Michael Hoodman said this, The sufficiency of Scripture is under attack today. And sadly, that attack comes far too often inside our churches. Management techniques, worldly methods of drawing crowds, entertainment, extra-biblical revelations, mysticism, all declare that the Bible and its precepts are not adequate for the Christian life. But what does Jesus say repeatedly in John 10? My sheep hear my voice and follow me. My sheep hear my voice. Follow me, not the world. The world's sheep, the world's goats, love the world, engage the world, appreciate the world. But Jesus says, my sheep Follow me. My sheep, follow me. I quoted William Cunningham in Sunday School. I'll finish this with a quote by him, early, uh, later reformer. He said, a significant lesson from the reformers on this topic is the necessity and importance of giving much time and attention to the study of the Word of God. Brother Mike, it cannot be that simple. I just study the Word of God? Yes. And again, I'm not inside your brain. I love you enough to let you get angry with me. When I say to you, we need, we need to study the word of God more. Does that make you bristle? Does that make you think uh, uh, it's not my thing. Yeah, you know, what's wrong with what I'm doing now? I don't know what any of you are doing when it comes to your Bible study. But I know if we claim the name, we must be in it. We must be about it. We must pray. Okay, you don't love it? Pray that you love it. The necessity and importance of giving much time. And then he said, the reformers were all led by God to give careful attention to the study of the sacred scriptures. There is a reason to fear that since the period of the Reformation, the careful study of the Word of God itself has not usually received the share of time and attention which its importance demands. We are very much disposed To remain in contented ignorance of what God has written for our instruction. All this, in the first place, is sin. He has shown you, O man. He has told you what he requires. Psalm 119, we're not turning there. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. I have learned that Psalm 119 is kind of like a a summary of Psalm 119. If you would, let me close by just reading Psalm 19. Verses 7 through 14. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. Pray. The Lord just stirs you, blesses you, feeds you, encourages you, perhaps corrects you, I don't know. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. If we see that, if we love that, if we embrace that, our response has to be verse 14. Let the words of my heart, I'm sorry, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray before we close in song. Oh, Lord, thank you that you are our rock, our redeemer, our king. What a glorious, mighty, majestic God you are. Thank you for your word. that It is powerful. Thank you that it is clear for your people. Father, would you take your word, build up your people, strengthen, give courage, empower us, to love you. And oh God, as we, just, as we talked about, please draw us to be people of the word. I pray for each person here that you would give us, myself included, of course, give us a great hunger, first of all for you, and that we can quench that through spending time with you in the word. God, please, this world needs you May we be people who know you and can rightly share the glories of your truth. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your patience. As we sing now, God, as we close, may our hearts and voices be pleasing to you. We ask in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Amen.